Man, I, I really find Christianity very difficult to live for most of the days of my life. And I think for you and for me, Christianity is interesting because we all have one foot on earth. We all know about worldly wisdom and ideology and ideas that really we know how to navigate through the world, what reality really is and what the values of this world are. And so Christians have to learn to live in that type of world. We don't run away from it. But at the same time, we're supposed to have a foot and our hearts in the realm of heaven, the higher things of humanity, the best of what humanity is called. And you know, it's hard to live in both worlds. And I think what happens a lot of times, if Christians don't give that good balance to both, then what happens is we can get swallowed up by worldly wisdom, and it's really hard to see the Spirit of God at work. Notice the world that we live in. People can take words from scriptures, maybe spiritual words that we value from our deposit of faith or the spiritual world, and the world can turn that around by giving it new meaning. Maybe sometimes it's political or cultural or very human. And what happens to Christians because they get this information 24-7, they begin to buy into that and repeat the misinterpretations and misunderstandings of our faith. Why? Because that's all they know. And it's right in front of them. And here's human nature. You repeat it and repeat and repeat, and the next thing you know, people repeat back what they've been taught. That's very human. And so today, Scripture gives us some three examples, one from each reading, that talks about how you and I in the worldly sense can miss the whole picture of God, but at the same time, really understand the words and the meaning that God wants from us trying to live in this double world of world and heavenly realm. The first reading comes from the prophet Zechariah. He writes to the people promising a king. And this king that's going to come is going to come on a donkey. Can you believe that? The foal of an ass is what it's called, huh? And he comes in there because it's a sign of humility, but also that this king is not into pride or the pride of the position, but rather there is real humility in living that. And so what he does then is this king will follow the covenant of God and will know the difference between right and wrong. And the word that's given to this new ruler that's going to be the king and work closely with God is meek. He is going to be meek. Now, you and I in the worldly sense know meek usually means weak. Someone who's very timid and easily walked over. Most of us don't want leaders to be very meek. We want them, and this is human nature, we want them to be loud. We want them to do things, even if they're not doing anything. Make us feel like you're doing something. Better than nothing, huh? That's what I get from the stands at Sunny Slope. Do something, huh? They don't care if it's right or wrong. Do something, and we want that. We don't want meek. Meek means weak, means you're not effective. Why would we want anything to do with you? And yet, in the Greek word that is used in the Bible, meek means one who is not easily moved or, or kind of told to go anger. In other words, it's one who is steady. 
You see, the meekness in the Greek mindset is one is not extremely angry, but one isn't also absent of anger. The meek is in full control of their emotions, and they're not easily swayed to be angry at people. You see, those who are arrogant cannot learn anything. Meek means that they are open to learning and learning about God. Disciples are called to be meek. Jesus was meek because he knew and listened to the will of the Father. And so the world will say, don't give us a meek leader. We want someone who's strong. And yet God tells us that meek means that we're not easily influenced. And we're not always angry. But that we work out of full control of our emotion. And we're open to learning what God wants to learn. In the second reading, Paul's letter to the Romans, he uses a word that you and I in the world kind of see the negative part of, the flesh. For most, unfortunately, the world and some Christians is flesh means sex sins. That's all we're preoccupied, huh? You know, flesh means carnal desires. Woo, you know. And so flesh means that you're going to commit those sins. And so when people say, I've committed the sins of the flesh, it's usually meant for carnal desires. And even some Catholics live that way. They think the only sins are sex. And they love to tell people they're wrong, basically for sex, and they forget about the other things. Paul talks about anger, sorcery, also about malice and causing division. Those are sins of the flesh as well. And what Paul says, the problem with flesh is it seeks to be self-centered rather than God-centered. But he uses a word that is different that helps redeem the flesh. It's called spirit. That our very baptism, all of us receive this spirit, the Holy Spirit within us. And this spirit allows us to be God-centered rather than self-centered. And this spirit does many powerful things for us. And you know, we all give that gift. No one's denied, and so that's why you in the pews, those who are people who are part of the body of Christ, you're important. And it isn't you're just as moved by your flesh. And you are not just people of sin, but the Spirit redeems you and uses you to do great things. And every person here, no matter where you're at spiritually today or viewing God is using you in powerful ways. And that's what Paul wants us to remember, even though the world says, see, you have no control. That's not what Paul says about the Spirit being in each one of us. In today's gospel, the law of God is seen as a burden. It's very burdensome. And so for the rabbis at that time, they would call the Torah, the law of God, like the yoke. And the yoke is one that keeps one in line like the ox and plowing. And so this is seen as a burden. And many people think, if you follow the law of God, or the church tells you to do something, it's such a burden. You know, you have no freedom. There's no joy. There's nothing light about you being Christian. It's always sadness. It's always fear of sin. It's, always, it's never joyful. And sometimes people who react that way kind of leave that. And Jesus is dealing with that. The Pharisees used to make fun of the peasants that Jesus hung out with. They were called the people of the land. 
And the reason for that is they were not spiritually in tune like these Pharisees and the religious leaders there. And so they would laugh at these peasants and say, you can't even make the observance of all the laws. Who are you? And they'd look down on with him in disgust. And Jesus says, wait a minute. I will lighten your burden. In other words, I am the law now. Now, Part of the problem of the law was it was interpreted that it always had to be external behavior. So some went way overboard. And he doesn't abolish the law, but he fulfills it. And so many times people in the world say, why do you follow all these rules? You have no freedom. It must be a burden. You're always afraid that if you break a rule that you or your loved ones are going straight to hell. We were taught that way. Yeah. And Jesus says, that's not the heavenly realm. That his burden is light, meaning you follow his ways. And he gives us rest. He gives us the understanding then that laws are not meant to be burdensome because it's all about external behavior, but rather it's in our heart. And so the world doesn't always understand that. And the world doesn't have the working of the Spirit. Let me give you an example that's happening right now. Pope Francis has been starting this thing called the Synod. The Synod means coming together to assemble and to listen and to speak with one another. Traditionally in the church for a long time, it's usually bishops who do that. And now he wants to extend it to you, the lay people. And it's already started. It's been going around. And so he's announced in Rome for the entire month of October that he is calling 400 people from uh, throughout the world to gather, to have listening, and to pray, and to discern. To be a consultative body to the entire church. They're not legislative, meaning that tomorrow the law changes. But they're going to listen to one another. So, who did the Pope choose to come in Rome in October? Well, obviously, people that share his vision. There's some cardinals from the United States, and priests, and others throughout the world who were chosen. And of course, he wants to choose people that really share his vision. That makes sense. He's also invited laymen and laywomen to be part of it. And here's the thing. The first time in history, many of the laymen and laywomen and religious sisters as well will have the right to vote. They're going to vote. A woman chosen from Mexico and one from Japan will be president of the synod sessions when the pope is not present there. That's never happened before. And the Pope has called on people who are not sharing his vision. There are bishops in the United States that really have not been on board with Pope Francis' vision. We can honestly say that. You have to be not very intelligent if you can't figure that out. Okay? That's what's happening. They have been chosen, each country of bishops of conference there, they get to choose bishops to go. And some of the bishops chosen from the United States, uh, they're not always in line with the Pope's vision, but the Pope approved them. And there's a cardinal from Germany named Cardinal Moore who doesn't like the, syn the synod process. In fact, he wrote, this is a hostile takeover of the Catholic Church. And guess who the Pope called to be a participant? Hello, Cardinal Mueller. God, do you think Cardinal Mueller's going to go and talk? You bet your sweat BP, like we used to say, huh? Yes. So in other words, he's trusting that the Spirit works in everyone. 
And so when a church for so long has said, don't talk about this, don't bring anything up, from the first day of Pope Francis' vision and his papacy, there was a time when bishops were not allowed to talk about certain subjects. Everything was determined. And really, all those meetings with the bishops were just going to Rome, eating pasta, sleeping, and then heading home. Because they've already determined that. But Pope Francis said, speak from your heart. Speak the truth. Don't say you can't say that. But speak your boldness with charity. So, for an entire month, 400 people throughout the world are going to talk and listen. And the Spirit's going to work. You know, here's the thing is that we can be a church... Maybe we're a church in the valley like other churches. And sometimes our only influence is in the valley. Maybe we have foreign missions somewhere and we can do that. But we're part of a Catholic church that is modeling to a entire world that doesn't listen to one another, that's in silos of their own way of thinking, their own ideology, and won't talk to one another. The Pope is modeling to entire world what the church used to do. And did it well. Listen and talk. We did this about a year ago. And we did our listening sessions. And you know, I have to say that I loved her, our parishioners who looked at me and said, why bother? I love you guys. Because you don't get it. And so, why participate? And they said truthful things because that's very honest. Nothing's going to change. My ideas won't be listened to. Ah, it's still the same thing. It's another program. And you know, I can't blame them for feeling that way. That's been done for 2,000 years, huh? I get it. But you know what? We had a number of people. We had 45 parishioners sign up from the pews to be facilitators. And a number of items came out, six basic ones. And they've been meeting for an entire year working on that. You know what happened in my office the other day? The group on women, because women was an important part, their role, their importance to the church. That group of women who've been working on that, and I asked them to meet with our staff on women because they have an experience of that. They came to see me and said, well, we're part of a program that on, on September 3rd, Labor Day weekend, about a thousand churches are going to have women give the reflection during the Mass for the Feast of St. Phoebe. Well, who's St. Phoebe? She... According to scriptures, you can ask Father Andre if you think I'm pulling your leg. Was a deacon. Hmm? The word used is deacon. Now, you can debate that, but Father Andre's the final say because he was old enough to probably be there. So that's why I'm going to trust him on that, okay? Don't worry, I tell him that all the time. And she wrote, she carried the letter of St. Paul to the community. And with a thousand parishes, women are going to start talking. And so they thought, you should have seen their faces. Well, oh, this is going to be hard to convince Father Eric to do one Sunday. You think we can do it? And there they are. And all I said through the Holy Spirit was, why don't we do things for an entire year for women? And their mouth dropped. They couldn't believe it. Why would we just do one Sunday and just say, okay, we did it. We're done. Let's pat ourselves on the back. And now, it isn't a year of women like a banner and banquets and everything, but it's teaching and reflection on the role of women. And the Pope has been doing that ever since his papacy. Now, there are women in offices of the Vatican, never before, of leadership. Women are important. And to be able to know the parish led by the Spirit because you talked about it, 
Other things are happening of the things of the six things you mentioned. So to those of you who said, nothing's going to change, there you go. The problem is, if you keep your foot in worldly realm, you're going to miss it. That's another program that's not going to do the things I think it should do. What good is that? What a waste of time. Well, welcome to your world of great wisdom of the world. Because right now, no one trusts one another. No one's listening to one another. And the Roman Catholic Church, with all its weaknesses, with all its struggles, with all its great basketball and football teams in the world, we're coming together to say, the Holy Spirit is within you. And that's what St. Paul is saying. We can't be a church that says the priest has more or the Pope has more spirit than you, so just sit there and listen and be good people. Pope Francis, the Holy Spirit, Scriptures, and the Roman Catholic Church is striving, even in the midst of its own opposition of many of its people. You in the pews matter. So some of you have already tuned me out and going, when's he going to stop talking? When time is brunch. I get it, but you know what? Maybe you can talk about brunch, that the Spirit dwells within you and you matter, no matter what anybody else tells you in the church. The Pope wants to listen to you because the Pope says the Holy Spirit works in each one of you as much as it works in him because you matter and you're important. You may not get exactly what you desire, but that's not how the Holy Spirit works. I didn't pick those six things. You did. But I learned from you. I listened from you to say, you in the pews valued these things. And so whether you're listening to not, it's okay. Just don't be stuck in worldly wisdom. Too many Christians are stuck there, and they're lost. Because all they do is regurgitate what the world tells them to believe about religion and God. You're all better than that. Listen to your spirit realm. God uses you for great things. And God's doing great things with you. Either you believe it and listen, or you don't. It's up to you.